BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And so what's the deal with Social Security? What's going forward with Social Security and Medicare? We know that the Republicans were totally, you know, absolutely committed to privatizing Social Security, so much so that when George W. Bush won re-election in 2004 on the strength of his being a wartime president, uh, he said, I'm going to use my political capital to privatize Social Security and went on like a 15-state tour to try to sell it. It didn't work out all that well. And then when Trump came into office, he put people in charge of Social Security who hate Social Security, at least as a as a public good. So what's the status of all this right now? On the line with us is our old buddy, Alex Lawson, the executive director of Social Security Works, socialsecurityworks.org and strengthensocialsecurity.org as well. Uh, SS Works is the Twitter handle for that. And of course, his personal Twitter handle is ALaw202. Alex, welcome back to the program. What's the status of Trump appointees in the Social Security Administration and the Medicare Administration? Yeah, thanks, Tom. I wish I had better news to report, but unfortunately, uh, it's been six months uh, where Trump is no longer the president, but his minions are still at the top of the Social Security Administration, uh, and they haven't changed their tune at all. Uh, and in fact, it, it, it's gotten to the point where we're having to really fight hard to put restrictions on money because it's budget season uh, so that they can't do the things that we defeated under Trump. But we're worried and with very good cause that if you give these guys, Andrew Saul, the commissioner, David Black, the deputy commissioner, uh, if you give them the millions of dollars that they request for it with the they call it program integrity but we know it's just a, a backdoor they're going to use that as a backdoor attempt to take people's benefits away um so it's really we're at a very odd point because they're so out of step and out of tune with what president biden says but they still run the administration uh, and we are are just flummoxed by that. Alex, you know, I understand with Louis DeJoy that the Postal Service is a unique thing. It's a separate, independent kind of quasi-government corporation. Um, and, and he can only be fired by the Postal Board of Governors who are appointed by the president. So it takes time. And, you know, maybe he'll be uh, in prison before he gets removed. 
But I thought that the Social Security Administrator and the number two person at the Social Security Administration were basically just presidential appointees. What am I missing? How did they get there and why aren't they gone? Yeah, it's um, so they are termed um, and which means they, they serve for a certain number of years. That's a new uh, phenomenon. It was actually a, a Clinton era uh, reform. And what happened under uh, President Trump under Trump is that the Supreme Court ruled very clearly uh, that there's no such thing as uh, a position that the president can't fire. Right. I mean, they work in the executive He's the top of the executive. He can fire them. They work at the. So even if you've got a ten-year term and you're three years into it, uh, the the president is your boss and he can he can push you. And he can fire you. And and did Trump use that to fire the pre the the uh, Obama Social Security administrator? uh, Not Obama. So Obama never actually appointed a Social Security administrator, uh, a commissioner of Social Security. Um, he actually allowed Bush's commissioner uh, to continue, and then he never uh, put in a confirmed commissioner. It was uh, only an acting commissioner, which was a really, you know, that it, it was a huge. Oh, that was part problem. of Mitch McConnell refusing to to run it through the Senate. Yeah. Okay. And that, yeah. Also, as you remember, President Obama did not have Social Security very high on his list of paying mind to. And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, the, when he did pay mind, it was to, to push things like the chain CPI benefit cut until we got him off of that. Right. Uh, but it, it, the, under Trump, this was how he used uh, this ruling to push out, and it was based on when he pushed out the uh, director of the Consumer Financial Protection Board. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what he did. Uh, and so we know for certain it's the the ruling is the Celia uh, ruling. We know that that is the law of the land now. But for some reason, President Biden's circle um, think that they're maybe it, it's that thing that Democrats sometimes do where they play by the rules that no one else is playing by uh, and therefore mm-hmm. get played by the rules. Yeah. Um, but I will say that's literally just Andrew Saul. I want to make that clear. I should. I think I misspoke earlier when I said they are termed. He's termed. David Black, the deputy commissioner, is at will. There's absolutely nothing, nothing standing in the way of President Biden saying, get out of here. And deputy commissioner David Black is actually the brains of the operation. He is the ideological mastermind of this. He comes out of that worldview that Social Security, because it works so well, has to be destroyed so that the market can come in and steal all of our retirements. And, you know, then the plutocrats get richer and the people uh, die in poverty. One in two seniors was living in poverty before Social Security was created. That's the world they want to return to. Uh, Andrew Saul, the commissioner, he's a dilettante. He's super dangerous, uh, but he's a dilettante. He needs David Black to be able to do this stuff. And so that is the one where we're just really wondering, why are you leaving this guy who 100 percent, he's an at-will employee of the president of the United States, and he is just fundamentally dangerous to the so Biden could take care of this with, with with a signature. Easily, 
easily. Uh, and it wouldn't even be a signature. Any right? idea why he hasn't? I mean, thing. is this just like one thing that has, you know, one of a thousand things that have slipped through the cracks or or, uh, you know, I, 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 I can get it where where the Biden administration might be, uh, you know, reluctant to take on issues that are highly controversial or people, you know, that are highly controversial. But this doesn't seem controversial at all. What am I missing here? I know. Now, Tom, it's really it's a it's at this point. It's just I have to say it's it's uh, malpractice. You know, it's just it's, he's just doing a bad job on this front. Um, why is he doing a bad job? Why is President Biden doing a bad job in letting these goons control one of the biggest institutions in this country? Social Security touches all of us. I think it's because it's that problem when something works so well that it just goes to the back of your mind. It recedes as a mm. priority. You know, President Biden came in. A lot of things were on fire. Social Security works. Checks go out. Never has a single check been missed through wartime, peace, boom, bust. It doesn't matter. Social Security is there for you. And I think that that has allowed it to recede as a priority. And there's very few truth tellers like yourself who are willing to raise this back up. And David Black and Andrew Saul are also masterful bureaucrats, right? They know how to play the bureaucratic game to keep their heads down and pretend that they're on team Biden when in fact they're doing everything they can to undermine. So, President so Biden Ale- we're agenda. talking with Alex Lawson, the executive director of social security work, social security works.org. Alex, what can, or should we be doing right now? I, anybody who's on Twitter, just make noise about firing saw and black, the hashtag fire saw and black, go to uh, Ron Klain, the white house chief of staff. He's very available on uh, Twitter, but mm. uh, tweet at, 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 all of them, and then call your senators and demand, uh, it doesn't matter who they are, Republican, Democrat, just demand that uh, Saul and Black are fired. And that's that's what we have to do right now. Fire Saul and Black is the hashtag you said? Yes. F-I-R-E-S-A-U-L-A-N-D-B-L-A-C-K? Yes, if I followed all that. Fire Saul and Black. Got it. Alex... You're doing God's work. Thanks so much for dropping by today. It's great talking with you. Thanks, Tom. Alex Lawson, the executive director of one of our really great organizations out here, Social Security Works. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Change starts with you. You can be calling your Democratic or Republican representatives to let them know what you think by calling 202-224-3121. It's the Capitol switchboard. It'll get you right through to them. Hey, did you see where the House Republicans have now committed in writing to raise the Medicare and Social Security eligibility age to 69? No, I'm not making that up. It is true. 69. The House Republican Study Committee, they've got 152 members, and uh, they came out with their alternative budget last week. Actually, it was about two weeks ago. And this is their proposed alternative to, uh, to Joe Biden's budget. And Washington Post's Henry Olson lays this out. He says the, <laughs> it wasn't exactly 
filled with new ideas. They want to slash spending by $14 trillion over the next 10 years. Honest to God, cut spending by $14 trillion. And, you know, what do they want to do with this? Well, uh, they apparently forgot that they were the party that helped Trump single-handedly add $8 trillion to the national debt. But anyhow, this is one of the pieces. Quote, the age at which one receives full Social Security benefits would go up to 69 by 2030, from a planned rise to 67 in 2022. Medicare's eligibility age would also rise from 65 to 69. 69 is the new 65. Yeah, I, I can hear it now. This is the this is the great new Republican strategy, right? It's going to work just wonderful. I find myself rather skeptical, but, uh, you know, what do you know? What do you know? So the new GOP logo, we make the mistake. You just pay for them, right? <laughs> scrap Medicaid. Scrap the Children's Health Insurance Program. Scrap the Affordable Care Act. They, they want to convert Medicaid, CHIP, and the Affordable Care Act, the Republicans do, into block grants so they can gift them to the states. I mean, this is just nuts. It is, it is beyond nuts. So, you know, we'll see where it goes, but <laughs> it's incredible. I've got to tell you what is going on in Trump world, because this is impacting all of us. This is having an impact on all of America. Donald Trump, the guy who has been trying to tear this country down for probably most of his adult life, all, you know, all the way back to his rants in the, in the 70s or the 80s about the Central Park Five. I forget which decade that happened. And, and uh, here he's at it again. As you know, I'm on his mailing list <laughs> And I haven't gotten a fundraising pitch in several months. It's like he's just been quiet. And it turns out that there's uh, almost certainly a reason for that. And that is that in uh, fundraising world, in Donald Trump's fundraising world, he fired one of the people who was doing fundraising for him, the person in charge of his personal fundraising, because that person was trying to protect the Republican Party's mailing lists. So yesterday, I got an email from Donald Trump. And it's under the logo of Save America. And underneath that, it says President Donald J. Trump. Yes, he still thinks he's president. Or at least he wants his followers to think he's president. He knows he's not president, but whatever. And the letter says... China must pay for what they've done. Everyone, even the so-called enemy, is beginning to say that I was right about the China virus coming from Wuhan labs. I've known this all along, and now the rest of the world is starting to catch up. Bottom line, China should pay $10 trillion to America and the world for the death and destruction they've caused, period. We know Sleepy Joe is weak on China, can't be trusted to get the job done. That's why I'm calling on our strongest supporters right now to stand with me and demand that China pay for what they did. I'm reviewing, a, I'm reviewing a list of all the patriots who publicly stand with me during this time. 
Make sure I see your name. Please add your name immediately to the official petition to demand China pay for what they've done. And then he goes on, I've saved from day one, you know, it was the Wuhan lab, and I I was called nasty things by my enemies. This is your chance to stand with me on the right side of history. And when you click on the link, the official Trump petition link to sign his petition, you find yourself on a page where you're being asked for a donation. And the two little boxes of, yes, add a bonus donation, and yes, make this a recurring monthly donation, only it's in the small print, right? It's underneath the larger type about, you know, please stand with America, be a patriot. Uh, they're both pre-checked. This thing that just a few months ago, everybody, I mean, all across the news, the, the New York Times finally discovered what I had been telling you about for three years. Well, but actually for the better part of maybe a year, 2020, most of that year was when he had the, the two check boxes pre-filled in. I hadn't seen it before then, you know, just to be accurate. Well, he's, he's up to his old tricks. Uh, the stuff that has, is called fraud. Donald Trump must be low on cash. The money now is going into his super PAC, which means that he can use it to, uh, you know, gee, if, if he decides that his office at Mar-a-Lago, where he lives, if his office uh, needs to pay rent to himself, and the rent is, uh, let's say, a million dollars a day, he can do that. He can just take all these donations from the super PAC and just pay it to himself. And that's, you know, one of the ways that would be like kind of super legal. There's, there's other ways that are even shadier. He also issued a, uh, on his blog, statement by Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the United States of America. And, and, he, and it's basically congratulations to Nigeria, which just banned Twitter because Twitter banned their president because their president um, was promoting hate. And he says, uh, congratulations to the country of Nigeria. More countries should ban Twitter and Facebook for not allowing free and open speech. In other words, because they banned Trump. All voices should be heard. In the meantime, competitors will emerge and take hold. Who are they to dictate good and evil if they themselves are evil? Perhaps I should have done it while I was president, but Zuckerberg kept calling me up and coming to the White House for dinner, telling me how great I was. And then he ends it with 2024, question mark. This guy is bent on tearing this country apart. Have you had any success with talking your, your, the, 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 your friends who are, are Trump holes, people who are Trump followers, um, in talking them down, I've been, you know, I'm, uh, I did this deep dive on the right-wing media this morning after getting this thing from, from uh, Donald Trump. And one of two things, I, mean, I, I suspect that his base, the people following him, are becoming smaller and smaller parts of the Republican Party, or at least smaller and smaller parts of America, that the Republican Party is shrinking right in front of us because of Trump. Will that convert into electoral victories? It's starting to look like Democrats might have a good 2022. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. 
With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Tom Harbin here with you, and uh, here we've got uh, Rudy Giuliani's call to Ukraine. I don't know if you caught this, but uh, CNN has released the full video, the full 40 minutes of it. And uh, Giuliani was doing the same thing that Trump was impeached for. And this was three days before Trump's call to Zelensky. Zelensky? Zelensky? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And uh, Giuliani, all we need for the president to say, he's talking about Zelensky, is I'm going to put an honest prosecutor in charge and he's going to dig up the evidence that presently exists about the 2016 election. And then the Biden thing has to be run out. Somebody in Ukraine's got to take that seriously. That was the quid. To make a quid pro quo, though, there has to be a quo. In other words, this for that, right? Quid and and quo. Uh, He says, uh, Rudy Giuliani, I think it would make it possible if you did this, of course. For me to come, uh, for me to come and make it possible for me to talk to the president and see what I can do to make sure that whatever misunderstandings there are are put aside, because this was when Ukraine was, you know, basically under attack from Russia and looking for some military help from the United States, and Trump and Giuliani were like, "Oh, you want military help? <laughs> well, maybe we could help, but you know, I want something from you too." It's amazing. Crazy alert, Dr. Tenpenny, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny was testifying before Ohio legislators and she's talking about vaccines and she said, right now we're all kind of hypothesizing about EMF frequencies and their association with COVID vaccines. She said, quote, I mean, what is it that's actually being transmitted that's causing all these things? Is it a combination of the protein, which now is finding, we're now finding has a metal attached to it? I'm sure you've seen the pictures of all the internet of people who've had these shots, and now they're magnetized and put a key on their forehead, and it sticks. They can put spoons and forks all over them, and they stick, because now we think there's a metal piece to that. Uh, yes, take the vaccine and you get magnetized so the keys stick to your forehead. I think that's a little strange, don't you? Okay, <laughs> anyhow, as I was saying, let's, let's get back into our conversation here. 
Anyhow, Sandra in Omaha, Nebraska. Sandra, thank you for the call. What's on your mind today? Oh, I was just uh, thinking earlier this morning that if the Democrats can figure out how to make or how to work with Republicans successfully um, and actually get something done, maybe other countries like uh, Syria and Egypt and India will learn the techniques so that they can deal with their own Taliban, their terrorist groups, because that's basically what we're dealing with. So. I just kind of. I, I would kinda argue the opposite, Sarah. I, I would argue that you don't you don't engage with terrorists. You don't negotiate with terrorists. You do you, you know you work around them or you work against yeah. them. And yeah. in in my opinion, I, I'm not going to call the Republican Party a terrorist party, but there is a terrorist faction within the Republican Party, and it's yeah. large and it's growing. And they are openly terrorists. They've been called terrorists by the FBI and yeah. uh, domestic terrorists. And uh, so I think that... Well, they proved that by attacking the Capitol. Yeah. Biden has been negotiating the infrastructure bill and other things with the Republicans for six months now and gotten zero, gotten nothing out of yeah. them. He didn't get a single vote from them on the American Rescue Plan, you know, the COVID Rescue Plan, which has worked out very well. He is not going to get a single vote from them on anything. And it's time, in my opinion, for this administration not just to fire the Social Security administrator in his number two, but to simply stop talking to Republicans. I don't think anybody in America will mind. I really don't. I don't even think Republicans will mind as long as they start getting things done. But if they can't get things done, you're going to start seeing Democrats lose elections in big ways because Republicans will be campaigning on the fact that there's gridlock. You know, there was gridlock. Oh, my God. I mean, that was the the big attack on Obama. There's gridlock. Well, yeah, you created the gridlock. Sandra, I have to move along, but spot on. Thank you for the call. Sheila in Lincoln Woods, Illinois. Hey, Sheila, what's on your mind today? Uh, Hello. Yeah, you basically just said what I was going to say, that the Democrats are too busy trying to make friends with the Republicans who have no intentions of voting on anything we want. Yes. You were talking about Social Security. Um, that we need to send them some money or something, and if if they get it, because Trump people are in charge of it, that they're not going to use it the way it's supposed to be used. So I say Democrats should be obstructionists. Don't send the money. You know, don't give it to them. Well, it's, this is this is something that the administration will have to... There is a pool of money that Social Security has... And that was one of the questions I probably should have done a little deeper dive with Alex is exactly what does the administrator of Social Security want these millions of dollars for? Um, Alex implied strongly that it was to start privatizing Social Security, but Mm -hmm. I should have uh, dug into the details. But but I think your point is really well taken. And and this is where we need to be leaning on Biden. And I thought it was fascinating that uh, President Biden's chief of staff is very active on Twitter and reads his Twitter account. I mean, this is a whole, that just opened a whole new world of activism to me. Right, right. And Tom, can I say one more thing? Please. Uh, Yesterday, you had somebody on there who called and said that the reason people believe, or the people who believe in Q are Christians, people who believe in God. And I just wanted to say that everybody I know is a Christian. I mean, I know people of other religions, but every Christian I know would never believe in anything 
like you. Well, what I said was that they were evangelical Christians. And and in fact, I should add the word white to the to the beginning of that, because the white evangelical church has stood alone since the 60s. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and you saw this split in the Baptist Convention as well. They have stood alone around issues of race. But the evangelical, the hard fringe of the evangelical community believes that we are living in the last times, that the rapture is going to come any day now. The rapture, by the way, something well, that wasn't even part of Christianity I mean, until the late 19th century. In the, Christians believe in the rapture. They do, but we don't know when it's going to happen. But I'm saying that, you know, the lady was saying, oh, yeah, God is a, um, authoritarian, and he's not. God is not authoritarian. God lets you make your own decision. You decide, you know. And that because we're gullible and we believe stuff easily. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that that's not true. And, and, and that's but, your truth and that's your God and, and mine, exactly, too, to, to exactly. a large extent. Uh, but, you know, you can, you, you can use the Bible any, people, any which way yeah. you want, uh, as, know, as I'm sure people, you know. And Sheila. they do. <laughs> and they exactly. do. Right. People will pick a certain, you know, part of a verse and, you know, women are supposed to, uh, su- uh, you know, submit to men. You know, yeah. they don't read the rest of it that, that talks about what men are supposed to do. So, yeah, I, you know, people use it to their benefit to fit their narrative. But, right. So uh, that's what I had to say. And so, you said it very well. Sheila, thank yeah. you very much for the call. It's nice to hear from you. I appreciate it. Uh, Mark in Atwood, Kansas. Mark, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I was just uh, calling in response to something you, you had mentioned earlier about interactions with tr- Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. And I actually recently had one as of early as last night Whoa. where he was telling me about August and Trump's coming back in August and all this. And I mm-hmm. reminded him, electoral college, popular vote. No, he's not. His only rebuttal and argument, and he literally started screaming at me, was Hunter Biden and the laptop. Whoa. And that's all he had. Is this a relative or a friend or just somebody that you had a casual encounter with? It's actually a co-worker, and we were traveling home from a project. Oh, my. And the remaining two hours in the vehicle, he did not say another word. Oh, that's got to be uncomfortable. Yeah, but th- that that's really all they have now. I mean, they've got no the backbone to any of their arguments. Yeah, yeah, so it seems. And, and you know, it's, and it's a real unfortunate thing, too, that they are so completely brainwashed by right-wing media and right-wing hate ra- radio. It is just a tragedy. Thanks for sharing your story with us. And thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Here on the Tom Hartman Program. Speaking the truth, the multinational corporations and the right-wing billionaires who prefer, really prefer that you don't know all about. Yesterday afternoon, I was talking with my friend and colleague on, who was also on Sirius XM Radio, Dino Badala. And Dean is a really, really smart guy. He's a lawyer. He's, he's a great talk show host. And he's a very good writer. He had written a piece for CNN late last week, an op-ed, pointing out that the FAA says that there have been 2,900 incidents of air rage so far this year. I mean, it's like off the charts compared to previous years. And the 2,200 of those involve people refusing to wear masks. And we're not just seeing rage on airplanes. We're seeing it, uh, you know, in uh, road rage. We're seeing, uh, well, yesterday there was actually a story 
uh, in the press about uh, a guy who was asked by a clerk in a, in, a, in a store, in a retail store, to put his mask on. He pulled out a gun and shot him dead. I mean, <laughs> this is how insane it is. Retail workers are worried about it. Even mass shootings are up right now. Murders are up right now. Uh, Dean correctly points out that, at least with regard to the air rage, it, it seems to have to do with, you know, wearing masks. Um, and that Donald Trump set the tone for that by ridiculing masks back in the day and even ridiculing Biden for wearing one, saying it made him look weak. Um, other folks, there was a great piece in the Washington Post, for example, suggesting that the reason that this is happening is there's this, just this incredible confluence of stressors. Uh, we have been through a year of lockdown, which is enough to make anybody a little crazy. Uh, we are afraid of getting a disease that might kill us, which is also, you know, puts, puts people on edge, so we said, at, at the very least. And uh, our economy just went through the worst crash, the Trump crash, the worst crash since the Great Depression, since the Republican Great Depression of the 1920s and 1930s. And those are all important points. But I think that the really, the really critical thing that we really should be paying attention to, and a lot of people are missing, is psychopathy. Now, just to explain, a psychopath, first of all, about 1% of the, of the U.S. population are psychopaths. It's, it's rare, but it's an ab, actual diagnosable mental condition or part of the spectrum of humanity, depending on your perspective. And I, would, I could argue either of those points. For a psychopath, the, the way psychopaths think and feel, they literally believe, and I mean this like literally, that they are the only, only real person, and I put that in quotes, in the world. Everybody else doesn't experience life as deeply or richly, doesn't feel as emotions as profoundly as they do. Everybody else is kind of like a cardboard cutout, a cardboard character. Everybody else in the world for a psychopath is simply there to provide them with gratification and help meet their needs. And this is why psychopaths find it so easy to kill people. You know, uh, this is why psychopaths find it so easy to engage in crime. It's also why 15% of corporate CEOs in the United States in large companies, you don't find this so much in small companies where management has to actually interact with human beings, but in giant companies where, where a CEO can simply say, yeah, lay off 10,000 people, close that factory, destroy, destroy the lives of 2,700 people. That 15% of psychopaths, uh, of, ma of CEOs of major corporations are psychopaths, according to Forbes magazine and a similar population in prison. Actually, Forbes said 12%. I've seen numbers higher than 15%, actually, from some studies. So what happened in America, and this is really important to get, is that in our country, the head of state and the head of government are the same thing. In the United Kingdom, for example, they separate those functions. Boris Johnson is the head of government, and he can be as rumpled and weird as he wants, but he because he just runs the government. He's a bureaucrat. He's the prime minister. The queen is the head of state. She sets the tone for the nation. She sets the style for the nation. In the United States, the president of the United States is both the head of state and the head of government. And so our presidents set what is the norm for acceptable behavior for wealthy, powerful, privileged people 
for the entire American public. Whether it was Franklin Roosevelt's enthusiasm or whether it's John Kennedy's haircut or whether it's George W. Bush's lust for revenge, we all become like the, up until this point, it's always been a father figure, you know, every president's been male. We all become sort of like the father of our country at that moment. When Trump became president, he literally became the father of America. And when father is psychotic, families tend to become psychotic. It's not that everybody in the, in the family behaves psychotically. What happens is the few psychotics around, well, first of all, the family gets terribly wounded. I mean, when Trump was just a psychotic real estate mogul, it wasn't that big a deal. The people he was harming were principally his children and the, and the family around him. His niece is suing him for robbing her. Uh, the people that he did business with, the people and, and the people that he ripped off, you know, the you know basically the people who tried to go to Trump University or the contractors uh, that he hired, things like that. And you know that was pretty much it. But when he became president, he established a new standard. And what has happened is that one percent of psychopaths among the American population, they are having this massive coming out party. It's been going on for five years now. And, I mean, you know, one of the starting points is what we saw, you know, in Charlottesville, Virginia, back, back in, uh, tw- I think that was 2016, maybe 2017. The very fine people killing Heather Heyer. And, you know, one after another, what we're seeing is that Donald Trump made being a psychopath fashionable. He made it, be- he made it acceptable. And his neurological tribe of psychopaths are like out. They are here. And as a consequence of this, you've got, you know, elderly people who have spent their lives volunteering to uh, help with elections. My mom used to do this. I remember being seven years old, going down to the local elementary school and standing next to my mom as she checked people's names off and checked their signatures as they came in to vote. I have a just vivid memory of that. People like my mom are getting death threats, my late mom, are getting death threats, literally. They're getting phone calls saying, you're going to die a slow and painful death if you don't leave your job so that we can put a QAnon crazy in there to count the votes. People who have Biden-Harris stickers on their cars or a pride flag in their window are, are, are facing vandalism, arson, and, and worse. Asian Americans are, are under assault uh, the assaults on African Americans and Hispanic Americans are cranking up because, you know, Trump's psychopathy has made all of this stuff acceptable. Teachers who are just trying to explain the simple history of America are not only facing death threats, but they're facing losing their employment, which could throw them into poverty and homelessness. And his and Trump now Trump's tribe of psychopaths are organizing themselves on, on, on Facebook and other social media and coming together in these armed groups, plotting basically a revenge on a society that they feel has unfairly tried to constrain their selfish behavior, their selfish impulses. Now listen very carefully. The last time this happened to a Western country, the last time a republic, a democratic republic, had as its leader a psychopath, in the last hundred years, the last time that happened was 1933 in Germany. 
Now, thank God Donald Trump was not as competent as Adolf Hitler and was not able to hold on to his power. If he had for another four years, we would be going down the same road Germany did in 1934. And Kristallnacht, you know, the, the Trump version of it would be happening right now, etc. You know, they would be rounding up people like me, people like you. And the problem that we're facing is that, remember that 15% of CE, corporate CEOs who are psychopaths? Well, a number of those guys, those psychopathic CEOs, these billionaire CEO psychopaths, have built a massive right-wing radio and television infrastructure in the United States. And they put, you know, and a handful of their hosts, I think, are, are identifiably psychopathic. Now, I'm not saying all of them. In fact, probably not even most of them, just a few. But, but the ones who are tend to rise to the top. See, psychopathy in a prison environment, in a criminal environment, or in a giant corporation actually helps you get ahead. Because you're perfectly willing to step on other people and destroy their lives to get where you need to go. And most people are not willing to do that. So we have psychopaths on right-wing radio and television promoting Trump's psychopathy. And basically inviting other psychopaths to engage in psychopathic behavior. Uh, you know, threatening people, running around with guns, shooting people. You know, road rage, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And as long as that mo- awesome multi-billion dollar media infrastructure continues to exist doing this, we're going to have a serious problem with psychopaths in our society. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Now, as far as what do we do about it, I think step one is we call it out. If you have any other suggestions, I'd love to hear them. We'll be back right after this. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Dion in Chicago. Hey, Dion, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's on your mind today? Yeah, I just wanted to add on what, what you're saying, but I, I think the country's in worse shape than COVID started. And it doesn't matter who's in charge, but uh, the death of, It does matter who's inflation. in charge, Dion. It really yeah. does matter who's in charge. It's a big friggin' deal. So what's the point you're yeah. trying to make? Yeah, well, the country's in worse shape than COVID started. I mean, mental health, uh, people, more suicide, more time on the Internet. Yeah, uh, we've been through an insane have- crisis. Uh, we've had two crises. One, we've had the worst pandemic in 100 years. And two, I probably should have reversed the order, we had a psychopath for president for four years who brought a bunch of other psychopaths, people like Mike Flynn and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, the Secretary of State, uh, what was his name? Uh, 
Pompeo, Mike Pompeo, people like that into his cabinet. I mean, you know, it's like we had psychopaths running our country. So, yeah, of course, we're, we're, we're really struggling. That said, we now have political leadership that is at least sane. You can say that of Joe Biden. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are doing a great job of modeling how actual non-psychopathic, high-functioning, intelligent adults who have compassion and understanding for other people uh, should behave. And, and the rest of the world is going, praise the Lord. And I think a lot of Americans are too. But yeah, it's a tough one. Dion, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Betsy in San Diego. Betsy, it says you disagree with me. What, what, am, what am I missing here? People who disagree I, with me always I go dis- to the farm. I, di- I think I disagree with name calling and hate and calling people psychopaths or whatever makes adds more to the momentum of, of hate speech and and makes it hard to discuss things. Yes, there are people out there that believe all their lies, but then some of the the things that were presented with Trump were not lies. They were just excluded for by example. Facebook and other for example the counts of all the votes. I watch several different channels, not just the oh. right channels. Oh, I watch oh, the left channels. And I think that, um, you know, you've got to be open about some things and you've got to investigate you on your own. You don't have to be open to liars, Betsy. These people I'm are lying to you. If you're open to the idea to. that the election was stolen from Donald Trump when he lost by 7 million votes, when the Republicans who control Texas, Arizona, and Georgia did recounts. In Georgia, they did three recounts. The Republicans who control that state. And they found that, that Donald Trump lost. He lost the House. He lost the Senate. He lost the White House. He was a horrible failure. And but he's a psychopath and he's I'm lying not, I'm about not, it. I'm not dispute I'm not disputing the election. I think that there was some some things wrong with the election. Yeah. But I'm not disputing the results of the election. I think they need to fix Betsy what? You know, the dead people I, look, I need look. to fix the dead people off the rolls. Why? And the people that got to vote once. Hang on just a second, Betsy. Why, I why? Want my, you know, if, I want my vote to count. Betsy, if you're if your next door neighbor discouraged that I don't fight, Betsy, if your next door neighbor dies tomorrow and is still on the rolls in November, what difference does it make? Your next door neighbor isn't going to vote. He's dead. The problem is, is that once they had people on that were counted that actually did vote. No. No, I'm sorry. Yes, you they had, did. You had you had yes, one guy in Pennsylvania they had, they had that the, the that the attorney the Pennsylvania their... attorney general caught who voted as his dead mother, and he voted for Donald Trump, and he's and he's facing facing prosecution for election fraud. They need they need to correct the rules. That's, no, it's, all, that's how correct the rules. Uh, of if course, they they, could, dead they people, already do, Betsy. Every secretary well, of state, every. <sighs> Betsy, you are, state, you are believing right? lies. So, I'm telling you, the psychopaths I, have gotten to you, Betsy. I'm, I'm going to move along because I, I, well, actually, I've got it. We got, we got to hit a break here. But um, Oh, yeah. Okay. Psychopath. Yeah. Okay, Betsy, I, please, I didn't mean that sarcastically, and I didn't mean to cut you off. I, 
but but I but I guess I'm going to. Betsy, thank you for the call. I I, I don't know what else to say beyond that. I, it, we do clean our voting rolls. But, you know, if it takes a year or two or three, let's do it carefully. Let's not take off living people. This is the excuse Republicans use. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. The GOP will tell you that there was a guy in Pennsylvania who voted in the name of his dead mother, which actually happened. One guy out of, you know, 100 million votes. Therefore, we need to stop living people from voting. It's the Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from the Tom Hartman Reader. This particular chapter is an excerpt from my book, Threshold. This is from page 312, titled Sociopathic Paychecks. And it starts out with a quote from The Little Prince, 1943. I know a planet where there is a certain red-faced gentleman. He has never smelled a flower. He has never looked at a star. And all day he says over and over, just like you, I am busy with matters of consequence. And that makes him swell up with pride. But he is not a man, he is a mushroom. Okay, to the book. Americans have long understood how socially, politically, and economically destabilizing are huge disparities in wealth. For this reason, the U.S. military and the U.S. civil service have built into them systems that ensure that the highest paid federal official, including the president, will never earn more than 20 times the salary of the lowest paid janitor or army private. Most colleges have similar programs in place, with the ratios ranging from 10 to 1 to 20 to 1, between the president of the university and the guy who mows the grass. From the 1940s through the 1980s, this was also a general rule of thumb in most of corporate America. When CEOs took more than their fair share, they were restrained by their boards so that the money could be used instead by the company for growth and to open new areas of opportunity. The robber baron J.P. Morgan himself suggested that nobody in a company, including his company, should earn more than 20 times the lowest paid employee although he exempted stock ownership from that equation. He owned most of the stock. During the greed is good era of the 1980s, something changed. CEO salaries began to explode at the same time that the behavior of multinational corporations began to change. When Reagan stopped enforcing the Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890, a mergers and acquisition mania filled the air. And as big companies merged to become bigger, they shed off redundant parts. The result was a series of waves of layoffs as entire communities were decimated, divorce and suicide rates exploded, and America was introduced to the specter of the armed, disgruntled employee. Accompanying the consolidation of wealth and power of these corporations was the very real redefinition of employment, from providing a living wage to people in the community to a variable expense on a profit and loss sheet. Companies that manufactured everything from clothing to television sets discovered that there was a world full of people willing to work for 50 cents an hour or less. Throughout America, factories closed and a building boom commenced among the Asian tigers of Taiwan, South Korea, and Thailand. The process has become so complete that of the millions of American flags bought and waved after the World Trade Center disaster, 9-11, most were manufactured in China. Very, very, very few things are still manufactured in the United States outside of the defense industry, weapons. And it wasn't unthinking, unfeeling corporations that took advantage of the changes in the ways the Sherman Antitrust Act and other laws were enforced by Reagan, Bush Sr., Clinton, and Bush Jr. administrations. It took a special type of human person. In his manuscript, Toys, War, and Faith, Democracy in Jeopardy, 
Major William C. Gladish suggests that this special breed of person is actually a rare commodity and thus highly valuable. He notes that corporate executives make so much money because of simple supply and demand. There are, of course, many people out there with the best education from the best school, raised in upper-class families who know how to play the games of status, corporate intrigue, and power. The labor pool would seem to be quite large, but Gladish points out there's another and more demanding requirement to meet. They must be willing to operate in a runaway economic and financial system that demands the exploitation of humanity and the environment for short-term gain. This is a disturbing contradiction to their children's interest and their own intelligence, education, cultural appreciation, and religious beliefs. It's the second requirement, Gladish notes, that drastically reduces the number of quality candidates for corporations to pick from. Most people in this group are not willing to forsake God, family, and humanity to further corporate interests in a predatory financial system. For the small percentage of people left, the system continues to increase salaries and benefit packages to entice the most qualified and ruthless to detach themselves from humanity and become corporate executives and their hired guns. One of the questions often asked when the subject of CEO pay comes up is, what would a person like William McGuire or Rex Tillerson, the CEOs of United Healthcare and ExxonMobil, respectively, possibly do to justify a $1.7 billion paycheck or a $400 million retirement bonus? It's an interesting question. There's a free market for labor or CEOs. You'd think there'd be a lot of competition for the jobs. And a lot of people competing for the positions would drive down the pay. All the United Healthcare stockholders would have to do to avoid paying more than a billion dollars to McGuire is find somebody to do the same CEO job for a half billion dollars. And all they'd have to do to save even more is find somebody to do the job for a mere hundred million dollars. Or maybe even somebody who'd work the necessary 60-hour weeks for only one million dollars. So why is executive pay so high? I've examined this question with both my psychotherapist hat on and my amateur economist hat on, and only one rational answer presents itself. CEOs in America make as much money as they do because there really is a shortage of well-trained sociopaths. The book is, ultimately, it's from Threshold, but it's in the Tom Hartman reading. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you and uh, Mark in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Mark, what's up? Oh, hi, Tom. So um, I was thinking that maybe that part of the problem of the uh, government that's dysfunctional is that House members only serve for two years. Why not serve for four years, come in with, the say, a wave of if a Democrat wins the presidency, then House members come in with him for four years. If they can't get anything done in four years, then maybe it's time to go back. But, I mean... A four-year term for House reps, they're not always dialing for dollars Yeah, you know, every two years. It's an academic point, Mark, because it would require an amendment to the Constitution to change it, which is not going to happen. Right. And if you're proposing that as a way to then embrace term limits, I would still point out that what term limits do is they radically increase the power of lobbyists and thus the power of big corporations and big money. And they diminish the power of individual legislators. And that's why, if you listen to right-wing talk radio, you will constantly hear them talking about the wonders of term limits. It's because well, it, it, it makes it, yeah, it makes, it, it increases the power of special interests, the people who fund yeah. right-wing radio. Mark, thank you for the call. Israel in Chandler, Arizona. Hey, Israel, what's on your mind? Yeah, here's a quick suggestion for every voter. 
go crazy in the primaries. Work for whoever you think best meets your ideal of a congressman or a president or municipal whatever. But when it comes to the election, here's my North Star. It's the preamble to the Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, et cetera, et cetera, I look at the candidates and I say, which one of these two candidates is going to get us more further down the road to a more perfect union? And that's who I vote for. And by the way, in my lifetime, it's always been a Democrat, not a Republican. Brilliant. Brilliant. Very well said, Israel. Thank you very much. That's that's great. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Peter in Philadelphia. Hey, Peter, what's on your mind today? Hey, hey, Tom, thanks for taking my call. And I agree with the previous call on the more perfect union. But very simply, Tom, for uh, all these states that are putting forward the uh, voter suppression laws and voter nullification like to- as well, they're also saying yes. that votes can be thrown out important. or ignored. Even more important. That, that's even more to the point. Good, good, good point, Tom. I would like the Democrats, any Democrats, to put forth what I, I would call the no taxation without representation uh, proposal. Sounds good. Sounds like something Republicans can get behind. And very simply, if my vote is purged for whatever reason, it's thrown out, that vote is my membership card to citizenship. So if I'm no longer having my vote, I don't pay taxes. Yeah, I love it. I, I've seen that. Uh, I'm not sure if somebody called into the show and suggested it or if I read it on, you know, uh, one of the message board, Daily Coast or Democratic Underground or something like that. But I have seen that proposal before. And, you know, odds are it would never it would never get put into law. But, I, you know, particularly given all these scandals about billionaires paying, you know, less than one percent income tax uh, when all the rest of us are, are, you know, struggling here. I'm with you, Peter. Peter, thank you. Matt in Iowa City, Iowa. Hey, Matt, what's up? Hello, yes, I've always been curious for the last 20 years why the Fairness Doctrine hasn't been reinstated in some way. Or It's just unbelievable to me that people are believing some of the most outlandish things. And I think the voting population would really embrace a Fairness Doctrine, just like they embraced uh, trying to have a fair and free election last time. I think rather, you know, I, I get what you're saying, and I would love to see the Fairness Doctrine come back. The Fairness Doctrine did not mean that on my program, for every left-wing rant I do, I have to invite a guest on who does a right-wing rant. It did, did not mean that a radio station that carried my show also has to carry Sean Hannity's show. Um, what it meant was that you have to program in the public interest and that when the ownership or management of the station presents a view on the air which is a very different thing. They used to have editorials on radio and TV sh- uh, stations back in the day. When they present their editorials, just like newspapers do, then they have to present an opposing view. It's, it was really a very small slice of what went on. When I, when I was 17 years old and I worked as a floor director at WJIM-TV, and then you know, a, year, a couple of years later when I was uh, helping produce a, a radio call-in show for uh, Chuck Drake back at WITL, um, w- part of my job when, when Chuck Drake, who owned the station, and when the family that owned WGIM would do their editorials, part of my job was finding someone who could rebut them. But it was only when it was the editorials. I think more important is that we attack ownership. We need to bring back the local ownership laws. That will do more to create diversity in our media than anything else. Matt, I got to run, but thank you for the call. And thank you for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. And, uh, and hopefully everything working 
In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. That includes you. So get out there, get active tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 